Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Join me as we head into service. Good morning, and thank you for welcoming me once again into your homes. Uh, today, I should say welcoming us. I have a very esteemed guest, which I will introduce in just a moment. COVID-19 has brought in unprecedented, unprecedented prolonged isolation. It's turned our lives upside down and inside out. For many of us, it is a dramatic shift in what we would refer to as normal. Compounding that is the pervasiveness of depression and anxiety. And these days, it's across the demographic spectrum. However, there's a stigma that's attached with it that not only causes us to suffer in isolation due to the pandemic, but for many to suffer in silence. And especially if you're of the faith community, there is this paradox between faith and things that uh, are related to mental health and wellness. And essentially, it is the kind of thing that is not talked about openly. It's the kind of thing that's shunned. It causes people to put on a mask because it's not well received, it's not understood. There's not as much compassion uh, as there should be. And so today I'm delighted to have a very special guest, a daughter of the ministry, Dr. Jillian Granton, who's going to help us unpack some things and minister to all of us in a way that causes us to embrace our whole selves and know that Jesus loves us just as we are. And some of the things that we may have thought or even been taught that cause us to be further away from him, I hope by the end of these two sessions, it will be today and next week that you will realize that he draws nearer to you and nearer to us in our brokenness. And so before I, I ask Dr. Granham to introduce herself or to give you her credentials, I just want to let you know that you can, if you have questions, put them in the chat room and we will address your questions. We may not be able to address them today but we'll take a look and next week we'll begin our dialogue by addressing your questions. So without further ado, I give to you, I introduce to some and present to others, Dr. Jillian Graham. Thank you so much, Pastor Oliver. I feel right at home. It's really good to be here and to have an opportunity to talk about this subject because it's very important to me, near and dear to my heart and is central to what I feel is my life's work. Mm -hmm. um, just for a little bit of background, I'm a clinical psychologist. I earned my doctorate at Fuller Seminary in California. And it was an intentional choice to go there for training in clinical psychology because I also wanted to have an opportunity to study theology. A lot of how we understand who we are as humans is connected to how we understand who God is. And so to be able to also earn an MDiv there and incorporate that training and that sense of 
a broader understanding into my clinical work has been really helpful. Um, at the moment, I'm working at a behavioral health system in Lancaster County. I'm a psychologist there, mostly providing therapy to adults and adolescents, and also providing supervision to some of the upcoming trainees. But I'm, I'm working with people and I see every day the impact of the pandemic, the impact of the racial unrest, um, all of the uncertainty that's going on in our country right now and in the world. And seeing how that's showing up in my office every day is part of why I really wanted to be here to have this conversation with you. Mm. I'm so happy to have you. As you know, we've been talking about this for a little over a year. Last yes. April, we mm -hmm. attended a conference together and we talked about what was possible. We really connected. I can tell you from my perspective, I was energized, but now 15 months later, here you are. And I, I just want to tell a quick story before we ask the first, before I ask the first question about that day. Mm -hmm. You and I were in the hallway talking and uh, there was a person uh, near to us. And because I was engaged with you, I felt annoyed by mm -hmm. his presence. And I was like, doesn't he see that we're talking? I didn't know him, never met him. And uh, after you left and went to your next breakout, mm -hmm. he came closer to me and there was nowhere for me to escape. And uh, he started to talk. And I realized, Dr. Granham, that as we began to talk, that part of the reason that God had me there that day in the convention center was this man who I wanted to get away from me. Mm -hmm. He started to tell me his story. Uh, he was a schizophrenic, but he loved Jesus Christ. And as he began to talk, I learned how cultured he was. The books that he read, he opened up a whole new world mm -hmm. for me in about 20 minutes about people who suffer with mental illness. And I, I, start, I still have in my notes section of my phone this day, wow. the things that he talked to me about. It was so profound. And what I learned and what convicted me was, I judged this person from what I outwardly saw that was a nuisance to me. But the gift of God that was in him, I would have never ever received if I didn't have the patience to stay there. So God cornered me in a way and taught me a lesson that I did not come there to learn. And I hope that many of our viewers today will get something that they didn't even anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of what you're talking about is the stigma that you mentioned. Right. You know, when we encounter people that have mental illnesses or people that are behaving in ways that we think are annoying or unusual or abnormal, our instinct is to move away from them. Mm. But we know from the model of Jesus that he moved toward. Right. Right. And so part of what we want to do as um, the community of faith and just the community of humanity is to be able to move toward the areas that are broken, that are disturbed, that are experiencing unrest, not only in other people, but also in ourselves, because we have those areas as well. Right. Amen. So what would you say to those who are feeling isolated and alone? If I could say only one thing, I would say that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. And 
I think that we need to know that because part of isolation, the way that it disconnects us from people, it makes us feel that no one else is experiencing what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so when we feel like we're not okay, not only do we feel damaged in a sense, but we also feel like we're the only one having that experience. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we want to be doing today is to let you know how common it is to deal with mental health challenges, to deal with anxiety, depression, loneliness, and to know that even if you are a faithful follower of Christ, you can still experience those things and you can still be whole in the midst of being broken. That is very profound. There's a biblical example of uh, exactly what you said in 1 Kings 18 and 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. He felt outnumbered. He even said, I alone. He's all by himself. Mm -hmm. And even though God was interacting with him and talking to him and providing for him, sending a raven, he still felt alone, he felt inadequate, he felt outnumbered. Mm -hmm. How many people in our audience do you think have that feeling? And God said to him, I got 7,000. He <laughs> wasn't really alone, but he felt mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we're, we're dealing with a time when so many things have converged all at once. Um, a friend of mine said that it feels like we're living through the 1918 pandemic. Mm as well as the Great Depression and the 60s uh, civil unrest wow. all at once. A and not only are we experiencing all that, but because of the internet, we are aware of everything that's happening. Right. So we have the stress of knowing all that's going on and yet we're isolated in our homes, often feeling very much alone. And that experience of in a sense, being aware of other people, but not being able to fully touch or connect is part of what heightens the isolation. Mm. So if I am emotionally pressed down and I'm mentally fatigued because of all those things, uh, putting it that way, you, the weight of it uh, really hit me. All these things converging and colliding, then what can I do in order to pull myself out of this. I, I would say that we start with thinking about who we are as human beings. And I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit to thinking about the body, the mind, mm -hmm. soul, the spirit, because all of those components are a part of us. And so even before we get to what we need to do, I wanna make clear for everyone how common this experience is. Mm. And so we have a slide that you'll see just showing the degree to which anxiety and depression have risen just over the course of the past year due to the, the pandemic. Mm. And so anxiety in the US was about 8% last May or so. And a year later, 28%. Wow. 
depression about six and a half percent, a year later, 24 percent. And so you're talking about a three or four fold increase over the course of the year. And the other thing that we also want to keep in mind is that people are being impacted differently in terms of across the demographics. And so although a lot of attention in terms of the health impact of COVID-19 has focused on those who are older or those who have other medical complications that make them more vulnerable, we need to also be aware that children and youth in terms of mental health experience, they are more impacted than even older people. And so you can see on this slide that approximately 70-75% of the youngest adults, 18 to 24, are reporting some kind of mental health related condition. Hmm. 75%. So think about that when you're interacting with your um, peers or your children or you know people that are dealing with a lot of stress and maybe they're stress is showing up for them. And at times it can become even more serious. So when we think about the most severe kinds of depression that may lead to suicidal thoughts, mm -hmm. we can even see over the course of the last 10 years or so, the rates of suicide have jumped for everybody, but particularly for younger people. So we're talking teens and even children, the age range from 10 to 15, that rate has jumped. And so our younger people are dealing with a lot of stuff and we're not always conscious of how the world that they're living in is impacting them. So it's really important for us to keep in mind, one, that for some people things may be a lot more severe than is evident from how they're behaving or what they're saying. There could be a lot going on. Again, you mentioned suffering in silence, a lot of suffering that's happening in silence. And at the same time, if we are paying attention, we can see some of the signs of the suffering. And so I, I do wanna talk a little bit about some of the symptoms, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Of anxiety and of depression. And, and let me be clear, my goal here is not for you to look at this information and diagnose yourself. I don't think that that would be helpful, but I do think it's important to notice that if a lot of these symptoms are things that you're experiencing, you may need to get professional help, go for an evaluation, even go to your primary care doctor, your family doctor, if you don't have access to mental health treatment and start the process of just trying to find out how am I actually doing? And so if you're able to take a look at the two diagrams here that show depression and anxiety, you know, some of the things that show up, particularly for depression are sadness, irritability, losing interest in things that once were really interesting or pleasurable for you. Your physical body experiences it in terms of tiredness, fatigue, low energy, difficulty sleeping or sleeping too much, not eating or eating too much, um, feeling agitated. And particularly for, for black 
people, black women and men, one of the ways depression shows up is in irritability. So you may not see extreme sadness, but you may find more irritability, kind of having a short temper, short fuse. Mm -hmm. And those could be signs that there may be some symptoms of depression there. This is something that we experience bodily often. So kind of a heightened sense of um, worry, agitation, nervousness, trembling, restlessness, um, your heart beating fast, shaking, sweating, all those things can be indications of anxiety. And then you add to that the impact of trauma. And so when we talk about trauma, we, we could be talking about individual experiences that people have, but today we're really talking about the collective traumas that we're experiencing as a nation and really as a world. The trauma of um, having your life turned upside down, the uncertainty that's connected to that. For those who are losing loved ones mm. and aren't even able to mourn in a way that might bring support and a sense of community and connection. The trauma of watching videos over and over of black men and women dying. Mm. All of these things add up and they also show up in terms of our ability to focus, um, the thoughts that kind of keep coming back that we can't get out of our minds, um, memories that come up, a sense of, we would call it hypervigilance, but you're kind of on edge. You're always looking for danger or aware of the sense of danger. And even kind of just checking out at times, mm -hmm. the numbness, the kind of losing yourself, losing um, focus or attention. And then we can talk about the ways that it may show up in our behaviors, right? So again, I already spoke about irritability and so that may increase conflict, especially if we're at home, right? Um, increased substance use, self-destructive behaviors, all kinds of things that we're experiencing. And as a faith community, we often don't know where to talk about these things. We don't know that it's okay to talk about these things. So again, I come back to the point that it's okay to not be okay. Hmm. Very, very insightful. 75% of young people, it's that pervasive and we still perceive it as abnormal. Yeah. Because we don't, we haven't lifted the veil. Uh, which is really important. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you uh, personally some things that are common, but they're not normal. And I'm understanding it as we're talking. My son, Dion, who's 24, every time he goes out at night, I hear the garage door open. I get, I get up out of bed. I, I can't go back to sleep and have a restful sleep until I hear it come up and he's back. And I have these thoughts mm -hmm. of him getting pulled over. And because of his size and appearance, something bad is going to happen. It's in my mind. It's stress. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of stress that causes trauma. Absolutely. It's common, mm -hmm. but it's not normal. Yes. I've embraced it as normal. It's just my life. This mm -hmm. is just my life. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for me and for my wife. 
Absolutely. Some of the stressors that people, if, if I'm a single parent and I have a, a child who's been for the last six months doing virtual learning and now it looks like moving ahead, it's gonna happen. And I've gotta make a decision between my job and my livelihood or taking care of my child because I can't afford childcare. That kind of stress brings about trauma. Mm -hmm. What would you say to help that person alleviate that impossible choice? And there are so many people uh, today who are faced and confronted with those choices mm -hmm. that begin with stress, but quickly become traumatized. Absolutely. And you're making a point about the the impact of stress on us, right? And so, you know, there are there are ways in which stress, some degree of stress, is is normal and maybe even helpful, mm. right? And so, for example, if you are an athlete and you have a a big game or competition coming up, you don't want to be fully chill and relaxed and like, hey, it's fine. No, you want to have some energy, some excitement, some that nervous energy, that is a kind of stress. We call that eustress, E-U stress. And that basically is a good kind of stress. And so, but there's a window there. So we can be, have no stress, kind of the lethargic place. We can move into that place where we have the eustress, that's good stress. But then if we go beyond that, that's when we get into distress, uh. right? And so, one of the things that you're talking about with your son is you have a level of stress just associated with being his parent in the world that we live in. And so your baseline is already higher than it might be if you didn't have a son. Mm. Um, so then you add to that the fact that sometimes that, and we're just talking about race-related stress right now, right? right? Sometimes that chronic stress might flare up. So when you see, there's a George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, there's kind of a flare up of that chronic stress. Mm. And that can hit, hit really high peaks. But even when it comes down, you already are at this level of increased stress. Mm. So then you add a pandemic. And e again, even if it doesn't impact you personally, just the fact that you're living in this world of experiencing it, there's additional stress. But now you're that single parent who has to make decisions about work and caring for their child, we're educating them. And again, that's where that peaks again. The options that parents are dealing with right now are heartbreaking. There, there are no great options hmm. of these choices. And so, how, how do you make decisions in a context where there is no right answer? Mm. There are only degrees of maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. And especially as people of faith, we often really wanna do the right thing. But it's maybe framed within this, this perspective or even a worldview of there's always a right answer, mm. right? And there's always a wrong answer. Right. So to follow God is the right answer, to sin is the wrong answer, right. right? But often life doesn't show up to us like that. 
And we need to have a range of possibilities that we make available to ourselves. And sometimes that's going to involve um, weighing and balancing, you know, the different pros and cons, getting guidance from God, getting guidance from other people, you know, listening to ourselves, our children, you know, all the things that we take into in order to make good decisions about that. Mm. But at, you know, ultimately, there, the step of faith is in knowing that I'm doing the best that I can in a situation where success, whatever that may mean, is very vague, mm. uncertain, maybe impossible mm. in a way. And so part of the mitigating that stress, I think, is in terms of how we frame the expectations for ourselves. If my expectation is I have to be the best parent in the world by getting it all right, getting every question right on the test, then that's adding to my stress. Right. If I'm able to say honestly to myself, to God, to my community, I'm struggling, I'm not perfect. Yes, we still have the problems, but now you have the opportunity to have help and to have support. Mm. So I would say the first thing would be to be honest with yourself and to reach out for help. Mm. And that help doesn't necessarily have to be somebody telling you what to do, but sometimes it's just knowing that somebody's there walking along that path with you. And in this context of the pandemic, that is a little bit more difficult to do, but to the degree that we can stay connected with people, I think we're able to, um, to find a lot of strength in that. Excellent. I want to pick up on a few things that you said. Life is not about binary decisions. It's mm -hmm. a spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's living color. And if I'm a person mm -hmm. who just wants to be safe from this pandemic uh, that is walking around and claim over 175,000 lives. And so I'm isolated with purpose because I want to be safe. Um, talk to me, you, you uh, made me aware of mm -hmm. a concept that made me feel yeah. smart, harm reduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we think about harm reduction, um, and I believe that the concept came out of substance use treatment. And so if we think about AA, for example, Alcoholics Anonymous, that model of treatment is about abstinence. So the goal is to not drink alcohol, and success is not drinking alcohol at all. And so the whole sh structure around that is moving toward complete abstinence. Mm. Um, and so part of, you, you've heard people who may, be, may have used a substance say, okay, I've been clean for five years, I've been clean for 10 years, I've been sober for you know, three days or whatever, right? So the model there is you have a clean slate but then what happens if you relapse? 
the, the clock starts over, mm. right? So I was clean for seven years and then I smoked or, or I, I drank or I, whatever I did. And so now I'm starting over, starting the clock up again. And so now it's been a month. But when you think about the process of becoming um, a person that is able to maintain their sobriety for seven years, that has changed you in some ways, mm. right? And to ignore that by saying, okay, now I'm only clean for a month, that ignores us that seven years. So harm reduction kind of comes at it slightly differently, saying that while abstinence is also very important, sometimes you have to be thinking about how do I reduce harm? And so that's where you have programs that provide clean needles for people that are addicted to substances. Mm. So AA's model would say, no, you, you don't foster or encourage using by providing needles. Harm reduction model would say, if this person is using, we can reduce their risk of harm by providing clean needles. Now, these are not, um, I don't wanna present it as a binary where one is better than the other. They kind of accomplish different things. And so both models are important, but when we're dealing with something like the pandemic, I think the harm reduction model is useful because we're really talking about how we can be safer while balancing a lot of different considerations. Like you said, I can be 100% safe by being in my house, mm -hmm. never leaving, never interacting with anybody. I probably won't get the virus. But what's happening to my mental health during that time? What's happening to my relationships? What's happening to my physical body if I'm not moving it around, getting fresh air, getting sunlight. So there are still losses there. Whereas maybe my goal needs to not be to be safe, but to be safer. Mm. So how can I make a safer choice within the, again, the range of not great options that are available to me? Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's thinking critically and being thoughtful about how I interact in the outside world. Mm. Um, you know, where I move around, who I try to spend time with, and trying to do that as safely as possible, but knowing that I'm always taking on some degree of risk. Mm. And that, that is what life is about, right? Um, and so if we're able to kind of moderate our framework, not just for dealing with the pandemic, but for dealing with ourselves as humans. Because again, it comes back to the same question that all or nothing thinking that sometimes has been um, guiding us where I can be a faithful Christian or I can be someone who's depressed. There's no both. Right. There's right. no in between, right? right? You know, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church my whole life. Um, I spent a lot of years in school I've tried to, you know, foster um, personal growth and development in that way in terms of education. And I also see a therapist mm. and I also take an antidepressant, mm. even right now. And the reason is because I realized when I was in school, um, with that extra level of stress that I was dealing with, 
I could see my mental health declining. Even though I was showing up to class, I was getting work done, but I saw a lot of those symptoms that, are, that I showed you earlier showing up in my life. So I, can, I could have continued to kind of like, let me just power through, right? Um, let me pray about it only. Let me, you know, kind of just focus on being there for other people. Focus on being a good therapist. Focus on being a good clinician. But what would I be modeling, mm. right? If, if my goal in my work is to help people take care of themselves, how can I not do that and be able to do my work authentically? Mm. And so for me, all of these things, um, having meaningful work, having a uh, wonderful connections with friends and family, being able to get outside every once in a while and exercise, therapy, medication, trying to eat healthy, getting enough sleep, all of those things are part of how I maintain myself as a whole person. Mm. And I think it's really important to remember that we are body, mind, soul, spirit. Mm. You know, we're, we're all of those things. And so, I want to go to the question that you had asked earlier in terms of what we can do, because I think it's probably really important to start with our physical body. Now, I know that this is about mental health, and so that may seem a little um, counterintuitive or, or off track, but everything that is happening in terms of our experience, you know, sadness, frustration, anger, um, laughter, all of that is happening in our brain in some ways. And our brains are a part of our bodies, mm. right? So to the degree that we foster the health of our bodies and our brains, which is a part of that, that impacts our mental health um, in, in very significant ways. So in thinking about what that might look like, and I'm just gonna give a couple of examples. You know, when someone's depressed, and this is an oversimplification, but we can think of the, that as having too little energy. Right. Energy level, emotionally, physically, is too low. When someone is anxious, we can think of that as having too much energy, mm. right? So it's too high. So how do we moderate that up and down? The simplest way is to start with our bodies. And I'm gonna go really, really basic to breathing. Mm -hmm. Before we started, I was doing some deep breathing because I knew that that would help to bring the tension and energy level in my body down to where it's in that eustress right. um, place. And so there are exercises that you can do for deep breathing. Even there are apps that you can find online that kind of walk you through how to breathe for different kinds of situations. Um, the basic concept I will say in terms of how to bring your level of arousal down is going to be slowing down your exhale. So if you're breathing in at a rate, you wanna breathe out slower. Mm. And basically what that does is, you know, when we're feeling anxious or stressed out, our body is in this kind of fight or flight mode. There's a sense that we are 
prepared for danger that could come. And so our body kind of marshals all its forces to get us ready to respond to that, that fight, that flight. Um, and so when we're at that level of stress that is high, maybe chronically and higher and higher as you keep laying on more things, um, racial unrest, pandemic, isolation, unemployment, um, kids at home all day, you know, spouse at home all day, um, and on and on and on. That's bringing that anxiety up really, really high. And so that, that is signaling to our bodies in a way that there's some danger. We need to respond to that. And that's why it's so easy to become irritable when we're stressed, because our body is letting us know it's time to fight. Right. So then I fight with you because right. you're around, right. even though I'm not angry at you. Right. And so if I can tell my body that, oh, there's no danger here, then I'm able to feel more calm. And so if I slow down my breathing, and even right now, if I talk more slowly and I talk more calmly, it tells my body to relax. And my body that is relaxed tells my brain, oh, there's no threat here. Mm. There's no danger here. So we can relax. So it's kind of a hack that we can use. Um, it, it may seem really, really simple, maybe too simple, but the fact that it's simple doesn't mean that it's not effective. Right, right. So let's let's dig a little deeper on the simple. And this has been so enlightening, so fascinating that time uh, has stopped for me. Um, but uh, we'll make a few more points, and then mm -hmm. we'll pick it up uh, when we come back next week. But talking about simplicity, there's a story uh, in Second Kings five about Naaman the leper, mm -hmm. who had a real problem that plagued him. But when he was asked to do something simple, the Bible says he got angry. He didn't want to wash where he was told to wash. He didn't want to dip seven times. He wanted the prophet to do something more exotic. Mm -hmm. Our human instinct, um, because we want to feel worth, is to kind of set the simple things aside. I recently had an experience with, which I shared with you since from March to August, we had not dined out, uh, partly because everything was shut down. But even as things opened up, we just didn't feel safe. Last week, uh, we went to uh, a place uh, that was open air, it was outdoors, uh, and we had such a brightening effect on mm. our family. We were in the open air, we were in the sun, we were distanced from other people, we laughed from our belly, it was such joy. But we've only eaten out from March until August twice, and both of the times were in March. It was simple, but it did something that was literally therapeutic. Yeah. What simple things mm -hmm. do you think we often overlook that we could do to Absolutely. improve our mental health? even in a pandemic. So we, we have a slide um, that kind of gives some signals about how you can care for yourself. And it's broken down into the body, the mind, and the soul and spirit. 
And so, you know, even as you're talking about that Naaman story, it takes me back to you, you talked about Elijah earlier, mm -hmm. right? And how he was feeling so alone and, and, and depressed and really suicidal. He said mm -hmm. that I, I wish I could leave right. this earth. Um, you know, the instructions that God gave are so interesting. Mm -hmm. Eat, drink, take a nap. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, it's like, there wasn't a whole, you know, fire from right, heaven down. Right. But it's like your body is, is struggling. And so, you know, when we think about the body, just starting with drinking water, eating healthy foods, um, moving our body in some way, you know, whether it's exercise, but if you can't really exercise, stretch, walk around a little bit, um, dance, getting fresh air and, and sunlight. Again, if you can, get out a little bit. And then also getting to sleep. Mm. You know, if we're able to just do those things alone, it sounds very simple, as you said, but those things can have a huge impact on our mental health. And then when we think about our mind, you know, uncertainty tends to increase our anxiety. So to the degree that we can have some kind of consistency even in the midst of the uncertainty of the world, it will help. And so if we can have some kind of routine, and maybe we can't do it for the whole day, set up our whole day, but we can have, you know, every morning when I wake up, I'm gonna have a cup of tea and I'm gonna sit and just enjoy the tea, not do anything else, um, not have the TV on or read or anything, but just take 10 minutes to really enjoy this experience of this tea. And that can help to take us to a place where we're remaining mindful and present. You know, as I'm sure we've already thought about limiting our exposure to the news, um, things that are difficult, challenging, traumatic. Yes, it may be important for us to know what's going on, but again, to moderate that. It doesn't need to be all or nothing, but maybe we can cut back a little bit. Learning new things, um, limiting our screen time. And in terms of our soul and spirit, prayer, engaging in our spiritual practices, staying connected to people, and then also playing. Um, it, it's not a time probably that people would think of playing as being something that's important to do, but whether that's playing a game with somebody, um, even playing games on your phone can be a way of playing, but kind of stretching yourself, go outside the box, mm. create art, listen to music, spend time in nature, and also pay attention to what's going on with the children. Because again, they're dealing with a lot of, of stress, not only everything that adults are dealing with, but also the fact that there are key milestones that some of them are missing. Mm. You know, graduations, proms, um, certain transitions. And for younger children, missing their friends, missing school, um, not having sports, maybe not having school as a safe place away from homes that may be chaotic or even violent and abusive. And that shows up in their behaviors as well. Um, meltdowns, acting out, mm. um, sadness, regressing. So mm. there are lots of things that are going on. And so if we can help the kids eat healthy, move around, have dance parties with your families, mm. right? Um, take a walk every once in a while. Just start doing those things that again are simple and that we all know, but 
we may not be doing very often. You know, there's a quote I came across that says, you often feel tired, not because you've done too much, but because you've done too little of what sparks a light in you. Mm. So maybe we can't find the light in terms of a grand purpose for your life, but maybe you can find a little light, mm. um, a poem that you read that just like, man, like here's a moment of light in my life right now. Mm. or a memory of something that your grandmother used to make, and maybe you can make that same recipe to spark a little bit of light mm. in that moment. You know, try to do something that makes you feel like yourself. Yes. That, that is awesome. Um, and before I ask Dr. Branham to pray us out, I just want to uh, summarize some of the things that we've heard. And I hope there are things that you can take away to do to have that spark uh, in yourself. Uh, the simple things, eat, drink, take a nap. I never thought of the instruction from God to Elijah to be that. But spiritually and biblically, there are so many instances of spiritual giants who had bouts of depression. Jeremiah, Elijah, who we, who we talked about. David, Paul at one point said he was despairing of life. A great apostle who did the will of God like no one else was despairing of life. So don't be ashamed. You're not alone. God can be with you. Even though God was ministering to, providing for, and talking to Elijah, he said, I alone. And God had to remind him, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee or kissed the feet of Baal. One of the things about isolation is that our mind, that we're going to talk in our next segment about rumination. We're going to talk about deep things like suicide ideation, which I think is very important for us to deal with. But I just want you to know that God is with you. God loves you. And right where you are, he knows everything. Uh, Dr. Granham talked about listening to music, and I was thinking as I was preparing for this that my theme song is going to be, it's turning around for me. Sooner or later, it's going to work in my favor. It's turning around, and it's turning around for you. It is good for those who wait patiently on God. And so continue to keep the faith, wait patiently on God, and we want to remove the veil of shame. Dr. Granham. And I also want to say we are graced by the presence of Bishop Granham and Pastor Hyacinth today. It feels a little better in the sanctuary. And so thanks be to God that they are here uh, with us today. In, in closing, you know, I, I do want you to have a few resources that you can refer to. So we'll just put up on the screen um, a, a list of a few resources, therapy options, support groups, as well as mobile apps that you may want to check out that can be really helpful as you seek to take the next step in terms of taking care of yourself. And I, I would like to, to close this out in prayer. And this is a, a prayer that was actually written by one of my favorite writers, uh, Maya Angelou. And if you know anything about her life, she went through some really difficult times mm -hmm and yet was able to maintain um, 
a, a passion for life mm. and to, to live through it and to live fully through that. And so we're, we're grateful for her legacy and for the gift of this prayer that she's left with us. Father, Mother God, thank you for your presence during the hard and mean days. For then we have you to lean upon. Thank you for your presence during the bright and sunny days. For then we can share that which we have with those who have less. And thank you for your presence during the holy days. For then we are able to celebrate you and our families and our friends. For those who have no voice, we ask you to speak. For those who feel unworthy, we ask you to pour your love out in waterfalls of tenderness. For those who live in pain, we ask you to bathe them in the river of your healing. For those who are lonely, we ask you to keep them company. For those who are depressed, we ask you to shower upon them the light of hope. Dear Creator, you, the borderless sea of substance, we ask you to give to all the world that which we need most, peace. Amen. Amen. And peace be unto each of you. The resources uh, will be available on our website. If you go to uh, nccop.church, go to the resource button and those things will be listed. God bless you, God keep you, and keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.